If you have ever watched a political debate, you've seen how politicians answer questions. Uh, someone will ask them a question about the national debt or climate change, uh, and rather than answering the question, they will simply talk about what they had planned to talk about. It can be a rather frustrating experience. And I confess that uh, you may have had a similar frustration with me over the past few weeks. Uh, your, your small group leaders have shared with me some of the questions that you've been raising along this topic of sexuality. And, and each week, I have not answered those questions. Uh, each week, I have been talking about things other than the questions you were asking. But I need you to know that I, I haven't been dodging your questions. I, I have been, over the last five weeks, trying to lay the groundwork necessary to answer them. Uh, and now in the final two talks of our series on sexuality, I want us to simply dip our toe into some of these questions by having a discussion about homosexuality. Uh, now, I need to tell you up front that, that I'm only giving you half of the answer tonight. Uh, we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about homosexuality tonight. Next week, make sure you're here next week because we're going to look at the approach we should take in sharing that answer. But for tonight, we're focusing on what the Bible says. Now, the Bible talks about homosexuality in, in, in six different places in the Bible, but the most extensive one of those is Romans chapter 1. And so tonight, our text, Romans 1, 24 through 32, will give us a good sense of what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. And I want us to make three movements through our text. I want us to look at what the Bible says what the Bible says in context, and the solution, okay? So what does the Bible say? Well, the Apostle Paul in Romans 1, 26 through 27, tells us that for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, it might seem pretty clear what Paul is saying, but I promise you will eventually encounter someone that says that we have got this passage all wrong, that Paul isn't against committed same-sex relationships, that, that Paul is actually speaking out against pedophilia, um, men having, specifically men having non-consensual sex with minors. That in the first century, there was no concept of a, a loving, committed, consensual same-sex relationship. Therefore, this passage does not apply to us today. But look at the language he uses to describe the situation going on in 26 through 27. They're inflamed with passion. They, they are attracted to each other. It's consensual. Both individuals are consumed with passion for each other. They are both choosing What's happening here? Regardless of how you slice it, the Bible is rather clear. What they're doing is wrong. Whether you're in the Old Testament or the New, the Bible is consistent across the board that acting on same-sex attraction is wrong. And why is it wrong? Well, the simple answer is because God says so. Uh, remember who God is in this grand narrative of ours, that he is the king of the universe which means that he should be obeyed regardless of what you think of the decrees or whether they are good or not. But we also have to remember that he is the good creator. 
which means that what he commands is actually the best thing for his creation. He knows the absolute best ways for the gifts that he has given us, like our sexuality, to be used. And so God commanding his creation not to act on an attraction toward the same sex is not him being a prude. Uh, it's, it's not him being a cosmic killjoy. He's trying to lead his creation into the flourishing life he intends for us to have. And so what does the Bible say? It says that homosexuality is wrong, which conservative Christians loudly declare. declare. But, but Paul does something in our text that I think we often forget to do. He places the sin of homosexuality in context. Um, after he highlights homosexual behavior, he goes on to provide this list of sins starting in verse 29. He says, they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now, if you are guilty of anything on that list, raise your hand. I should see everyone's hand up. See, we have to understand what Paul is trying to hear. Do you remember in our series on sin a few months back, um, we were talking about how different sins will crop up in our lives, and they're like different flowers. Some are perhaps brighter, bigger, more noticeable, but all of them have the same root problem. There's the same heart issue going on underneath, and that's what Paul is really referencing in verses 24 and 25 when he says that, that God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is Paul's explanation of what sin is. It's rejecting God, his goodness, his worthiness to be worshiped and obeyed and turning to something else. Uh, another way we could say that is sin is the belief that we are wiser, smarter, and care about ourselves and our circumstances more than God does. And it's that heart attitude that leads someone to act on an attraction to the same sex. Because deep down, they don't believe that God has their best in mind. And that they know better than he does. And that is the same reason why we disobey our parents, why we gossip, why we boast, why we envy. Because deep down, we don't actually believe that God can be trusted. And the reason that is so important to place the sin of homosexuality in its context, rooting it to that, uh, that heart disposition, is because it influences what we believe the solution is. If a person's main problem is not that they are acting on an attraction to the same sex, but they, they have mistrusted and rejected God, then our ultimate goal is not to cure them of their attraction, <laughs> Our ultimate goal should be for them to see the goodness of God and his worthiness to be worshipped and obeyed. That's the solution that Paul is implying here, that if choosing created things is what put, put us under God's wrath, then choosing the creator is what brings life. 
And he makes that statement even more explicitly in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, so I'm turning over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I just want to read verses um, 9 through 11. There he writes, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor uh, revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Again, Paul, Paul is recapping much of what we've already said this evening. Practicing homosexuality is a sin, one among many. And notice that a change somehow takes place in the lives of these people that he's writing to. They're no longer practicing, they're no longer doing these things. Why? Well, it's not because they decided to stop. See, behavior modification is never really the goal because it never really works. Uh, if we are honest with each other, behavior modification just it doesn't bring lasting change. As soon as you let your guard down, as soon as you stop trying your hardest, you're falling back into where you were. And so for Paul to say that they are no longer acting in these ways means that it, it had to go deeper than surface behavior. It had to move down to the root problem. Something had to deal with their mistrust of God and his decrees. And of course, that thing is Jesus. See, one of the, the mantras of those who are same-sex attracted is they are being true to themselves. That they are trying to love and care for themselves better than other people can. And what Jesus shows us is that he loves and cares for them far more than they can care for themselves. I think Paul puts it best in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrated, he proved his great love for us in this, that while we were sinners, while we were rebels against God, Jesus died for us so that we might experience the abundant life that we were made for. See, the, the solution that the LGBTQ community needs is Jesus, because he's the only thing that can address the root problem. He's the only one that can convince them and convince us that God's ways are best. And what we're going to do next week is look at how we can share that truth with people who are alienated from God, not because they're homosexuals, but because they're sinners. But, but for tonight, for tonight, I want us to hold on to a few things as we head into next week. First, uh, the Bible is rather clear. Homosexuality, practicing homosexuality is a sin. We can't shy away from that truth. We also can't put it on a pedestal. It is one of many, and they all stem from the same root of sin, that, that disposition, that mistrust that God is good and knows best and wants our best. And the solution for all of us, regardless of who we're attracted to, is Jesus.